other 
sort of wooden frame of this, a chalkboard. Um, and then he stretched uh, the linen fabric over that. And my take on this is just that um, he's, he's showing us each part that goes into making the painting. There is a base for the painting, a wooden base. Here, it's screaming out its presence by actually jutting out uh, past the, the picture frame with the ledge on the bottom. And then, of course, there is the textile. In this case, it's actually a very fine linen. Um, artists around the world prefer uh, textiles as a surface for their painting. Now, usually they're completely covered in paint and you forget about the textile element there. But here he's actually left part of the linen blank. Um, he hasn't gessoed it. It's just a raw textile. You can see the warp in the weft um, there. And then uh, he's used um, oil paints to apply uh, this black pattern. And again, he's making it very apparent. Um, he's, you can see the hand of an art, the artist. You can see the drag of the brush. Um, uh, so each part, each part of the painting um, is made uh, very distinct. He's making visible all the means of making a painting. Um, and in this work, um, he's taking all those elements and he's kind of uh, deconstructing them. Um, we see these long uh, 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 wooden pieces, which can be used, say, for a frame, for instance. Um, these have been wrapped in a textile uh, and then painted. So, and then in the middle there is a little hint of maybe what a traditional uh, uh, painting surface uh, might be like. Um, so again, he's taking all the elements, the traditional elements that are used in a painting, but he's rearranging them um, uh, in this way. Um, but one that is titled um, is this piece, uh, which is called uh, the English name for it, landscape. Um, and again, uh, he is using found wood, he's using found objects uh, that he has wrapped in textiles, and then he has painted, and he's arranged them in this spatial uh, relationship that suggests a landscape. We have green below and uh, blue on top. Uh, but if you look carefully on the, in the lower portion, um, you can see a little bit of the original fabric showing through. Um, he's covered this uh, wood with a, with a blue fabric and then painted over it with green, but a little bit of the blue is showing through. And again, um, it is creating these uh, sort of spatial relationships um, that suggests a landscape. Uh, but he's doing it with these long horizontals, this horizontal line. And keep that in mind, because that's a point that we will be returning to when we get to, uh, to the software. But again, he's using the same formula, uh, the essential elements that traditionally go into a painting, a wooden base, a textile, and then over that is applied and he left several uh, distinct groups of work. Um, the works uh, that are um, more three-dimensional, they're on the wall without a background, he called objects. And then the works that are made primarily with cloth, he called a stuff builder or, or cloth paintings. And what we're looking at here is kind of a combination uh, of these two. Um, this is called, uh, well, the English translation in this exhibition is um, soft speaker. 
Uh, I won't attempt the uh, German uh, pronunciation, uh, but it implies whispering, speaking softly. Uh, and on top, you see a found fabric that has been pinned to the wall. And then below it is the same fabric that has been stretched over frame, more like a traditional painting. And at least my interpretation of this is the, re the reason why, it, to me, it, it makes sense to call this soft speaker, because I think these are in a dialogue with, with each other. They're, they're speaking to, uh, to each other. Now, uh, for some people at the time, and even today, uh, it's a little bit um, shocking uh, to take just a plain piece of cloth and put it on the wall, uh, pin it on the wall, um, and call it art. Um, but of course, I'm a textile historian. To me, that uh, makes perfect sense. Um, textiles uh, surround us uh, in our daily lives. Um, they can bring a lot of beauty in, into interiors. Um, and I think this is what he's, he's getting at with here. Um, a plain piece of bound cloth. Um, a more traditional piece uh, of cloth that has been, um, that has been put over a frame or over a stretcher. Um, we can derive uh, visual pleasure, sens sensual gratification um, from both of these. Uh, it doesn't have to be put in a traditional painting format. All right, so in 1966, um, Palermo embarked on his largest uh, and best known body of work, which are called the Stahlfelder or cloth paintings. Um, for these, um, the, uh, the source material comes directly from uh, department stores. Um, this is commercial cloth uh, sold by uh, the Bolt, um, and he has just taken these, sewn them together, and put them on uh, to a stretcher. Um, at the time, uh, a good friend of his uh, was the artist Gerhard Richter, um, and they would both go on uh, they would go on shopping expeditions together. Um, uh, Palermo was very interested in looking at fabrics. Uh, Richter uh, was fascinated with the color charts that he found in uh, in paint stores and carpentry stores there. Uh, but what they're both, both looking at is finding anonymous, ready-made source material, and then using that and, and using that uh, in their art. Uh, so how, how exactly were they made? Well, he would buy these, uh, the, these, um, these cloths, take them to a studio. Uh, he would arrange them on the floor um, and get exactly the right uh, color combinations that he liked, um, the right proportions between the various colors. Then he would pin them uh, and then have them sewn and stretch uh, and put onto uh, a stretcher. Now, at the beginning, he did sew them himself, uh, but he was not very good with the sewing machine. Um, so he called upon his first wife, Ingrid, to do the sewing. Uh, and then later, um, Gerhard Richter's wife, uh, Emma, also would, would do the sewing as well. So the colors are determined uh, by what he found um, available in mostly in, in Dusseldorf uh, department stores. Um, the maximum proportions are also determined uh, by the, the bolts of cloth that, that he would find. Um, it's the DIN, the Deutsche Industry Norm, uh, dictated exactly the size uh, that these bolts uh, of cloth 
So they, um, they seem very simple uh, in many ways, and in fact, one of his, um, uh, one of his friends, uh, the artist Sigmar Polka said, uh, this is a quote by him, it says, while others were toiling away at I don't know what, he sewed two pieces of fabric together and had the day off. Um, but as simple as they might seem, uh, they're addressing many uh, concerns uh, that Palermo had at the time, uh, namely uh, uh, the German economic miracle, uh, the role of modernist painting at the time, um, and uh, also the, the modern art market uh, in Germany. Boyce, uh, Joseph Boyce, his uh, teacher, um, who was uh, a very influential artist and still is today, I'll read a quote from him. He says that Palermo was, he's interested in the way people live, the way they live in space. Human habitation, that was very important to him. The way they inhabit, the way they live, what chairs they sat in, uh, what they have around them. So I think that these cloth pictures really capture that. Um, they capture, to me, so very much the time uh, in which he was living. Um, and they directly uh, mirror a consumer culture at the time. So even though he was going to department stores and finding these colors ready-made, these colors were actually carefully thought out uh, by the manufacturers of textiles. Um, these, uh, the, the time has a lot to do with the uh, German economic miracle after the war. Um, of course, like all of Europe, Germany had been destroyed. There were very dark years during the war, uh, in the rebuilding years, but we're talking now in the mid-1960s, they're starting to uh, have a lot of, uh, uh, there's money available, and it's often called you know, the, the economic miracle. Textiles were part of that. Textiles were a huge uh, industry in Germany. Not for long, they would start to move uh, in, in the early 70s. And these companies, of course, would want to create textiles that people wanted to buy. They used color, they produced colors that were fashionable, that were sellable at that time. And at this time, the preference was for bright, bold colors. Um, this mirrored the, the optimism at the time. Uh, uh, and you, don't, you see it not just in Germany, but indeed um, all, all over uh, Western Europe. Um, so these colors are mirroring the sort of buoyancy, um, the optimism that you see in, in German society at, at this time. But also, uh, it's, it's uh, mirroring what we also see in, in advertising at the time. These very, uh, these geometric shapes, these sharp delineations of color um, are certainly what was popular in, uh, in advertising in the 1960s as well. And it's also mirroring what we uh, see in fashion at that time. Uh, the name that we most closely associate with these, these blocks of color um, is the French designer Courrèges, uh, but there were many, uh, there were many others uh, as well. And I do have um, some visuals for you. Um, if you want to pass these around, um, these are images of a photo shoot. Um, that was taken in front of uh, Palermo's early uh, Stoffbilder or cloth paintings. And you can see that these 60s fashions uh, provide a, a, a perfect foil um, for uh, these 
bright, sharply contrasting planes of color. Now, interestingly, uh, what you see in the background there are some of his early um, cloth paintings uh, that he actually destroyed. Um, some of the earlier ones were smaller in format than you see here. Um, and also, many of the earlier ones were made of shiny materials, uh, such as uh, satins. And uh, he didn't comment on this. We don't know why. Uh, I would speculate um, that uh, with satins, um, there is a sheen, light catches this, um, and it downplays the sharp contrast uh, between the two color planes. <clears throat> what he used almost exclusively uh, to the end is a balance of plain weave cotton, uh, which gives a very nice uh, texture. Um, there is no sheen on it, so it gives a very sharp uh, demarcation between uh, the two planes um, of color. And of course, these are very, uh, these are very decorative. Um, they, they looked good in homes um, at the time. And uh, I'll read a quote from one uh, critic. Um, it said that he couldn't decide, let me find here, whether he was uh, a painter, uh, an interior decorator, or a cold modernist. Um, but indeed, uh, I do think that he had uh, interior decoration in mind. Um, they look very uh, good at home. The way that they were hung very low and the way that they're hung in this gallery is similar to the way that he would uh, he hung them in, in galleries. Uh, the large size, um, uh, they are usable. They're something that people could conceive um, using it and, and decorating uh, in their home. Um, some of the earliest ones uh, were divided uh, vertically like this. Um, but over time, uh, uh, he went exclusively to these horizontal um, divisions. And uh, there, there may be many reasons for that. Um, having this, um, this vertical division, uh, the left and right eyes kind of go in different directions. Um, you get a, a greater harmony with these um, horizontal divisions. But I think that there's more than that um, as well. When we looked at the piece in the other room called Landscape, you saw that there was just two, uh, two uh, pieces of wood put together, and it creates this uh, horizon line that creates the look of a landscape. And I think that he must have had this in mind as well. Certainly when we look at this one, for instance, with green on the bottom and blue on the top, um, it does give uh, the impression of a landscape. And in fact, many of his classmates called him a landscape painter, uh, somewhat jokingly, uh, but also uh, in the late 1960s, around the time that he was doing these, he also did um, a series of seascapes. And in those seascapes, you also see uh, the only hint of the sea is just a thin a horizontal line. So I think that this is something that he, uh, that he certainly does have in mind. And of course, uh, these colors were, were popular colors that were produced at the time, but um, all of them probably had some sort of implications at the time as well. Um, as I mentioned, these were popular. They sold well uh, for many reasons. I said they fit well in interiors at the time. They were colors that were popular at the time. Uh, landscape is the most popular type of painting, and these have this hint of landscape. 
Um, and also in uh, Germany at this time, uh, American painting was, uh, was popular as well. And he certainly um, is having, is making these references to, uh, to American painters. Uh, I think most significantly when we look at pieces like this, uh, to Mark Rothko. And uh, whereas Rothko um, had these sort of shimmering planes of color uh, that had some sort of hint of, uh, of depth, um, we're getting a much sharper division uh, with these cloth paintings. Uh, but in ones like this, there is a little bit more ambiguity. Is it two colors or is it three? And so it gives a, a, this sort of uh, this sort of Rothko-like effect. Um, so, uh, in conclusion, I'd just like to say that um, I think that Palermo, in the way that he uh, brought together uh, popularism um, and uh, the, the market, um, looking at interior design at the time, uh, he opened up uh, new forms, uh, new materials uh, for new generation of artists. And also, uh, in his use of textiles, um, I applaud him uh, for that as well. Um, textiles are, they're ubiquitous in our daily lives. You know, they surround us uh, from the time we're born till the time we die, um, as clothing, as upholstery, uh, drapery, they're, they're around us. And incorporating textiles uh, in his work, um, as he's done here, um, he is uh, he's showing that there don't have to be divisions uh, between uh, high art and everyday life. He's showing us that art is in the intention and in the creativity of the artist, and beauty is in the eye of the holder um, and uh, not exactly in the materials uh, that he might 